0: Welcome to the Defend the North podcast. I'm your co-host, Dana Eisfeld, and I'm joined by the man who is like a boy on Christmas morning every March with the NCAA basketball tournament. The man who thinks this Timberwolves team, even after the most crushing loss of the year against Houston on Sunday night, has some hope and he's not ready to put the Wolves down yet like old Yeller. And the man who, though he considers watching a four-hour baseball game about as fun as carrying landscaping blocks, was still excited about the Twins opener today, and that's the guy that I call my cousin Isaac.
1: God, how's it going? That hit way too close to home all right there. Oh, my gosh. Oh, man. I officially got into the ring with COVID, and uh, it definitely took a few uh, a few swipes at me, but I think I've overcome it. So that's, that's the exciting news in my life recently. Well, I wasn't going to bring it up because you know HIPAA and all nah, that. Whatever.
0: But the good thing, at, at least you know, if you're going to have COVID, like have it during March Madness, Ooh, yeah. because that's a great reason to lay on the couch and watch basketball. And today, that's one of the things that we're going to talk about, Isaac. We're gonna we're gonna dive in a little bit into the NCAA tournament. We've got uh, a segment that we're going to call our player spotlight, where we're going to focus on somebody. In Minnesota sports who we think is a part of the dialogue a guy that we need to talk about a guy that maybe we need to do a deep dive on and then we're going to get into a twins preview but we wanted to start tonight with the NCAA tournament we're down to the final four so it, it's Thursday April 1st and we wanted to talk today about the good and the bad of the NCAA tournament for me I got a number of podcasts on my Spotify list, and most of them are about NBA basketball. And a lot of the guys that follow NBA basketball have this predisposition towards the NCAA that does not sit well with me. And I wanted to make this a rant session today, but rather than that, I thought maybe you and I could talk about what's going well with the NCAA tournament and and, and what's not. And I thought we could start At the top with Gonzaga and Baylor. The teams to beat. The teams to beat. So that's why I'm watching the tournament. And it's not the only reason I'm watching the tournament. And I think later on, you're going to talk a little bit about some of the things that differentiate NCAA basketball from the NBA. But these are two really good teams.
1: Yeah, it's extraordinary. I mean, Gonzaga's perfect so far. Top to bottom, it's just one of the deepest... Teams I've seen in college, honestly, and not necessarily with like high talent guys, but just the way they play as a team is just incredible. It's like they've known each other for years. Um, and I think it helps that they have a, a high IQ guy who came in this year Minnesota Zone, Minnehaha Jay- Academy. Let's go, Jalen Suggs. So that guy's been incredible. So before
0: 2000, the only thing that we knew about Gonzaga was John Stockton. He was like the one guy that came out of there. And then suddenly, Like, this was a team that was making the tournament regularly, and they were one of those mid-majors. Gonzaga was a definitive mid-major, and they made the tournament a few years in a row, and then they made a run to the Sweet 16. And before you know it, Gonzaga was on the map. Mm -hmm. And it's been almost 20 years now since that happened, and they have not won a national championship.
1: Could this be the year? I think it could be. This team's so deep. Like, I it, I can't say that enough. Like, they have so many players that can score. I mean, Suggs, Suggs is probably the best player on the team, yet he could score 12 points one game, and they could win by 30. So it's not, like, all on him or anything. It's such a deep team.
0: Yeah, I think about their rotation, not just their starting lineup, but one through eight. And, you know, you talk about the four top players on their team, Jalen Suggs, Drew Timmy, Corey Crispert. Joella Yee, And, you know, I've been watching college basketball for a long time. I sound like an old man right now and I'm getting there. You know, the, the grays, the, <laughs> you got some the, years. You're good. You're good. Yeah. The the, the grays <laughs> are certainly battling against the, the blacks and browns right now. And, but I think about those Duke teams with, with Jason Williams, Jay Williams, Shane Battier, Carlos Boozer, Mike Donlevy, and Chris Duhan. Mm-hmm. And I start thinking about Gonzaga With those four guys, right? Suggs, Timmy, Chris Burt, Yee. And then they have some depth. They've got a lot of guys around them. And I just wonder, like, Charles Barkley made this point on the TNT broadcast. I believe in the Sweet 16. They didn't even have a great game. And they won by, like, 15 points. And so you've got to shut a lot of guys down that are really good at scoring. Is there any team in the in, in the in, in the final four that you think can do that?
1: I I think Baylor's got a chance. I, I don't I don't think they're as deep of a team as Gonzaga, but you talk about they got three guards that are extremely good playmakers um, in Butler and Mitchell and Teague. I mean, these guys can go get a shot just about any time they want, and they play extremely good defense as well. So you talk about a team having to shut down several scoring options, like with as good a defense as Baylor plays, it's extremely possible. I don't know. Baylor
0: has that defense that can be stifling at times, and then they have three guards, as you mentioned, that can get to the hoop and score. They're all averaging between 15 and 20 points a game. And I I watched that Villanova game in the Sweet 16, and Villanova is a really well-coached team. And even though, okay, Colin Gillespie, the Big East coach, player of the year was out and, and they match up against Baylor and they're up by seven at halftime. And Baylor clamped down for five minutes. They created six straight possessions with turnovers. And that was the game. And afterwards, Jay Wright was like, I mean, yeah, that Baylor defense, that was it. <laughs> and I, so I, I think about, okay, so they got to get there first. Gonzaga and Baylor have to win against UCLA and Houston. So Baylor has a really They have a defense that can – and led by Davion Mitchell, who I think is emerging as a potential lottery pick in the NBA draft because the way he can get to the cup and score and the way that he can play lockdown defense on the perimeter. And then you pair him with Teague and Butler. Butler, you know, a potential All-American. And offensively, they can shoot and they can get to the cup. So Baylor's top five scorers, Isaac, are shooting 40% or more from three-point range. Combined – They take 22 to 23 shots per game. But if you can shoot threes like that, if you can put pressure on the defense getting to the lane like that, and you can play lockdown defense, they do have a good shot. Here's my question for you. So if you take Jalen Suggs and Joala Yee, and you put them up against Butler's three perimeter
1: guards. Baylor's?
0: I'm sorry, Baylor's. Who wins that matchup?
1: I do you know, You're talking three versus two, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take the higher number on that one. <laughs> I'm just giving you crap. <laughs> I mean, I'm 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 a homer. I gotta be I gotta be pro Suggs. So I, I I think Gonzaga wins that, but I just I don't think it's gonna be as easy as, as they've seen in the tournament so far. Gonzaga's only been blowing out people. I'd I'd be extremely surprised if they wind up playing Baylor, and that game is you know larger than a. a a single digit deficit or anything like that. So I'd I'd give the slight edge to Gonzaga, but only because I think Suggs is the complete package.
0: Well, if that's the case, Isaac, in 2021, we're going to see the first undefeated team since Bobby Knight's Indiana Hoosiers in 1976. And I think that Mm -hmm. would be something really special, but not quite as special as the matchup between Matthew Mayer's mullet and Drew Timmy's handlebar
1: mustache. <laughs> so who's the winner in that matchup? <laughs> oh uh, I'm gonna go with Mayer. Uh I've I've already told you I'm not I'm not a fan of the, the Timmy the Timmy handlebar, so I prefer the beard on that guy, but um I'm gonna give Mayer the edge on that one. So maybe if we're going hair game, Baylor can pull out the win.
0: <laughs> I'm like, why is Mayer looks like a guy that could suit up for the Minnesota High School hockey tournament? Yeah. <laughs> Easily. <laughs> okay.
1: We weren't here to talk about We weren't here to talk about style.
0: So you talk often about college basketball and like you really are at the top I talked about how excited you get during March.
1: But Best time of the year, baby.
0: But there's substance to that. Teams play well within their systems. They you know guys you know that are on the court, all five of them in many cases are giving full effort and there's actual defense played throughout the games. What have you seen in the NCAA tournament and what do you see year to year that draws you so much to this product?
1: Yeah, I mean for me the biggest thing is like you you never you never really know who's going to win in the end because I feel like in the NBA like top teams always win. It's just it's the way it is. You got the superstars, that's it. Whereas and then March Madness comes around and it's like no, it's much more a team game. If you have the superstar that doesn't mean you're going to necessarily win. I get it's it's kind of working for Gonzaga like Suggs potential top, you know, 3 pick, but I mean you look at Oklahoma State, Cade Cunningham out in the second round. Um you look at Luca Garza who I don't, I don't know how he's going to do in the NBA, but I mean top college player this year out in the second round. Like all the you don't necessarily win by having the best player in college. You have you got to have the best team and I just love that because it's like constant like you said constant effort good defense but I think a lot of that defense has to do with the officiating so much different like you actually can play defense in college basketball or you know I feel like in the NBA like you, you look at a guy wrong and oh that's a foul you know it's a breath of fresh air to to see basketball in its purest form and yet you have like division one athletes going at it so it's just to me it's extremely entertaining and then you, you look at some of like the Cinderellas this year, like Oral Robert Oral Roberts, excuse me. They beat Ohio State first, and then they followed it up by also upsetting Florida. And then you got other 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 guys, Loyola Chicago. That's just a fun team. Like coached hard. Uh they they play, play a beautiful brand of basketball. And they got that that uh awesome future YMCA champion Crutwig. How do you feel about that guy? He's oh, I
0: mean, Kretwig brings all the intangibles. He's a big body, and he's a guy that could probably polish off a keg at a at a frat party, <laughs> um, and probably has. Yeah, oh, but, yeah easily. You know, easily. Isaac, I, you're talking about a lot of these teams, and and like their effort defensively, and how they respond to coaching, and how they work within their system, and it it is in some ways intoxicating and i know that because i think about okay sometimes i just judge how our team's doing or how is a sport doing like not by you because you're a guy that's going to watch sports like no matter what happens with sports or in your life but some of (laughs) the more like you know casual fans and and march madness is a a sport that draws in people because of the bracket and those you know um those office pools Yep. That it, the, okay. So I was thinking about this today, the NCAA men's basketball tournament. It's not what it was back in the 1990s. I think about the, the, you know, the fab five in Michigan. And I think about those Duke teams. And I think about, you know, Jerry Tarkanian's UNLV rebels and how he got like Larry Johnson. And he got guys in there that, and they made two runs at the championship. You know, and there is narratives nationally every year about three or four or five of these teams. That's not happening now, but in March it is. Hmm. And is the NCAA tournament kind of becoming what
1: baseball is?
0: It's a playoff
1: sport. Depends what kind of fan you are. I mean, I, I think March Madness is always, I mean, like you've kind of said already, it's always brought people together. So it it just, it depends where you are in terms of your sports fandom. I have a lot of friends who turn on the U of M, the U of M team and, you know, they, they're not great, but like they'd watch the Gophers over the Wolves just because it's like guys it's college... giving a shit. Yeah. It's college basketball. Right. Well, it's, it's guys, guys, guys
0: out there that like are trying and maybe they're not trying in the, I mean, after Sunday night with the Wolves rockets, like I think we all kind of wanted to like sell the Denver Wolves to Seattle and just call it good. <laughs> But like with, 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 with most college games on most nights, especially in the NCAA tournament, like you're going to turn on the TV and watch guys that really want to be out there on the court. And
1: it shows. I mean, so unless you're watching a Patino led Gophers go on the road, then, you know, you, you know, that's going to be a loss.
0: But that's why they're not playing in March. <laughs> right. That's why. like and that's Garrett's why he's season, fired. <laughs> and that's why he's fired. <laughs> Isaac, I got to tell you this, though. Damn, the Big Ten.
1: Yeah, I thought it was the best conference in the uh, in the NCAA. That's not really looking like Wait, it's the case after the tournament.
0: You thought it was the best conference in the NCAA? I'm um, not
1: saying me. No, I'm saying that was kind of the consensus thought that it was like the most competitive conference. Maybe competitive is the right word, but they're not the best conference.
0: <laughs> can, I, can I be? I want to be a devil's advocate here.
1: Sure. Of course.
0: Isaac, can you name for me the last time that a Big Ten Power Five, quote-unquote, most competitive or, quote-unquote, best conference team won the NCAA Men's
1: Basketball Championship? I'm sure Michigan State did in the last five years, seven years. Keep going. Keep pushing that number. Ten years.
0: (laughs) Keep keep going. You're getting closer. You're warmer.
1: Okay, well, maybe they didn't win, but no, they were no, there. No, 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 15 years. I win.
0: K- keep going. 20? 21. Who was it? Since 2000, Isaac, six Big Ten programs have made the national championship game. Indiana, Illinois, Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, and Wisconsin. Wisconsin. That's a 21-year drought in what Wisconsin? is supposed to be one of the best conferences in the country. Now, we get there. We get there. <laughs> But we haven't won. And this year, we had nine teams that received bids. The Gophers, of course, were not one of them. We had five top four seeds. And what I believed were four of the top seven ranked teams in the country entering the tournament. And yet, only one team went beyond the first round. Purdue lost an inexcusable first-round game to number 13 seed in North Texas. Ohio State had the same fate with Oral Roberts, a 15 seed. Mm-hmm. Illinois and Iowa both had embarrassing second-round routes by Loyola, Loyola, Chicago, and Oregon. And that left Michigan. But what do you think it is that we can't get over the hump? And in a lot of years, like, our teams just flame out.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I I, I think we're a very, I mean, we're we're touted as a competitive conference, but I think that's just it. We're competitive within each other. Once we get out and play other conferences, it's it's a little different story, I think. And I don't know if that's coaching.
0: I think it's guard play. I think in the NCAA tournament look at Gonzaga and Baylor. Baylor has three good guards. Gonzaga has two good guards, like maybe great guards. Like
1: Well what happened to Illinois then? I mean that that the the Sumu guy had, had was like really good all year until it came to the tournament.
0: Maybe he recognized that his Uniform had a Big Ten patch on it and decided he needed to shit the bed <laughs> in the tournament.
1: Time to bow out. I'm done here. <laughs> <laughs> big... <laughs> I don't know. A I'd, big deuce. I just...
0: I expected... I... I Like, let's say we had, like, four, like, sweet 16 teams and two Elite Eight teams and one team that makes the Final Four and we lose in the championship game again. I, I wouldn't be having this rant. But I... I... I gotta say, for having four of the top eight or seven teams in the country going into the tournament, this was a colossal disappointment. disappointment. We're gonna take a little break here and we're gonna bring in one of our new segments called Player Spotlight. Tonight, that's gonna be Malik Beasley. Okay, Isaac, we're back with our new segment called Player Spotlight where we're gonna talk about Malik Beasley. So, Isaac, what have you seen since his return?
1: Yeah, a lot of rust. A lot of rust. Uh the first two games were not pretty, which I kind of wasn't expecting. I thought this guy would be ready to go and and come come firing out of the gates, but turns out it took him a couple of da- games, which is probably understandable. I mean, missing missing 12 games is a pretty good chunk of time. So, but we finally saw him in this last game against the Knicks. I would say he returned to Malik Beasley form. I think he had 20 points and was not. He ended up knocking down the the dagger three at the end of the game. What I love about this guy, and what he brings to this team, is just a consistent hustle and effort. He's constantly like running hard, playing hard. Now, does that always translate to good stuff? Uh, no, probably not. But I think one thing that he really brings to this team that we haven't seen that often in the last handful of years that you know effort competitiveness, um, maybe a little too much confidence, but it's something that's like a breath of fresh air when it comes to this Timberwolves team. But, I mean, this was a guy we honestly kind of stole away from Denver. Like, we we traded him in that Covington trade, which, I mean, Covington was kind of going to go away regardless, but we got him in that, and he came in, like, firing out of the gates. I mean, this guy was shooting 43% from three on eight attempts a game for those 14 games before... Covid kind of brought everything to a halt. But it wasn't just like a one-time thing because he's kind of continued that trend this year at the beginning of the year. I mean, he he was shooting 41% on almost 9 attempts per game from 3. So it's what he's brought from day one, he's been keeping it up.
0: So he's a 20 a point 20 points a game guy, right? And 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 you mentioned the three-point shooting. I remember that game like it back in February before his 12 game suspension. Where he made six three pointers against the Mavericks. He had a key put back. We ended up losing, no surprise at the Timberwolves. <laughs> That's what we do. And I just at that point Towns was still out and and Russell had been hurt and and Beasley was the guy. And he acted like it. And so that is an interesting observation on the offensive end. Like he he does get into the offensive rebound game and, and and getting in some putbacks in addition to his three point shooting, which I think is a difference maker. I I watched, we'll talk more about the game last night, but he has a, a gravitas about him. Like when, when he has the ball or he has the threat of getting the ball, the defenses are moving towards him, which opens up things for other good offensive players like towns and Edwards. And I really have to ask the question in the off season. So we sign, we we get Malik Beasley last year in the trade at the trade deadline, and he's a free agent in the off season. And before we sign him, his off the court problems come to light. Right, he brandishes a weapon at people that are supposedly outside of his home. And he tells them to leave. He smells of marijuana. The cops get a search warrant. They search his house. They find a ton of marijuana. He starts dating Scotty Pippen's ex wife, Larsa Pippen. I, I heard this week he filed for divorce and is also fi- Or, I'm sorry. He filed for divorce in, September, in December and now he is filing a, a paternity claim that the child that he has with his ex wife is no, isn't his. And my wife and I do not talk NBA all that often. But when we do, it's because she follows these accounts on social media that have nothing to do with sports and have to do with like sports, pop culture, interact or intersection. And Malik Beasley comes up all too often in our conversations. <laughs> I also heard that that was one of the reasons. I'm not sure we would have traded him because we gave him that contract. 20 million a year, right? 15.
1: 15. Four, years, four years, 60 million.
0: So we gave him that contract after his incident with the law where he actually pleaded guilty to a felony. And as long as he follows all the conditions of what he pleaded to, it will be pleaded down to a misdemeanor. But I, it doesn't match up to me, Isaac, because the guy I see in the court, he plays so hard. The guy here in post-game press conferences, sticking up for teammates, acknowledging his own deficiencies, on the court, in the huddle, the body language, like... Malik Beasley is a leader in the locker room and on the court and in huddles. And yet his off the court problems like are mushrooming into something that I, I worry like, is this the next J.R. writer?
1: When I see him, I guess I see I see less of the leader and I see more of he 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 thinks he's a leader where he's not necessarily mm. deemed a leader. And yet that's okay. kind of like that the whole idea that he's you know he's not lacking in confidence whatsoever like he thinks extremely highly of himself which to me in the nba it necess- like isn't necessarily a bad thing especially if you're someone who you know shoots a lot of threes and actually makes a good chunk of them like i think that can be very beneficial but i do wonder more if he is this good this good source in the locker room this good leader in the locker room um i'm kind of surprised i guess with the way this season has gone and we haven't heard anything in the locker room with him you could be totally right but i just like you're saying with all this stuff off off the court like i don't know how good this guy is in terms of like his his true personality now if it never comes if it never translates like if he keeps his home at home you know and he worries about work at work could it work out? You know, yeah, it's possible. I mean, obviously, Rosas has thought about it, and I'm hoping he's right and trusting in this guy. But, I mean, heck, like, I got to say this fifteen, like, 15 million a year for, for what this guy gives us is looking like a hell of a deal right now. Well, Isaac, you know, I have
0: been in supervision for a long time, and it, my experience is it, it, it is not to a person. But it is hard to separate your personal life from your work life. Now, can you have boundaries? Yes. But who you show up as a professional has a lot to do with who you are as a person. And he's a young man. And could he have made bad choices and learned from them and moved on from them? That's absolutely a possibility. The Timberwolves seem to think so. Because that incident happened and then he signed the contract. So we clearly... Signal to him that we believe in you, Malik.
1: Or are they just taking the chance because, oh, he has talent and they don't want to let him go because it's hard to get talent here in Minnesota.
0: Yeah. Well, that could be part of the the, um, calculus here. I was like, let's talk some twins. Let's talk some twins.
1: The Twinkies. Yeah. Opening day today. Did you catch any of the game?
0: I watched a few innings. Um, I don't want to say any more of that for fear that somebody at my at my job might listen. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. <laughs> um, I they were a one o'clock start, and I turned them on at like five fifteen when I was making dinner, and it was like the twins were still on, and I'm like, baseball. <laughs> what the hell is wrong with you?
1: Yeah, I was gonna say the pro to that is like you didn't have to watch the game during work. You could have just waited until you were done with work and it was still on. So And you so, caught the most important part, you know? Us blowing a game in the ninth inning. So
0: So Isaac, let's start with that. I mean, you're twenty seven, you're a millennial, <laughs> I'm older than that, and I'm an exennial. Where is baseball
1: in your heart? Fairly low. I mean, I I, I pay attention. Um, I, I like the Twins a lot. I normally catch them late, you know, late inning games. But there's no way in heck I am watching 162 games of the season, especially when they last like four hours. Nope. Isaac, like, I watch baseball on DVR.
0: <laughs> and you watch baseball like I'm going to turn it on in the eighth inning. Yeah. I mean, at least we're still watching it.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's fun too. I mean, we're Minnesotans. The twins are one of our best teams in the state. Like we're going to pay attention to them.
0: Yeah. And I, okay. So I want to go on a bit of a, um, well, this is kind of native to my personality, (laughs) but I wanted to talk about this twins team. So I'm going to ask you first. So Derek Falvey has been here for three years. Molitor, I think was kind of a, um,
1: Uh, A Ryan Saunders,
0: a a Ryan Saunders, Glenn Taylor thing. Like you have to take on the coach we have in the meantime, and so he had Molitor for a year, but now he's had Rocco Baldelli for two years. We have two straight AL Central um, titles, two straight appearances in the playoffs where we've done nothing, but like we're relevant. We're relevant. So, what has been your impression, Isaac, of this iteration of the Minnesota Twins?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that speaks for itself. Like we're relevant. We're we're one of the top teams in baseball. I mean all the rankings I see is we're right around 10 or 11, you know, top team in baseball, which and we are. Like just a few years ago, we we either what we we broke the record or came in second for most home runs in, the, in a season or something like that. Like incredible run. So like I can't fault what they're doing. Like it it this this extreme analytics approach as much as I'm like not super happy about analytics you know, taking over baseball, you you can't fault it necessarily. Cause it's proving like it, it's proven results. So I, okay. You said we, um, we hit
0: 306 home runs in 2019 and we won 101 games, which was the second most in franchise history. I believe to the 1965 twins, which made the world series and lost in seven games to the, um, the LA Dodgers and Sandy Koufax. And we had 82 more home runs than any team in franchise history. We also had the fourth most strikeouts in any team in franchise history that year. We did bat 272 in 2019. We had 939 runs scored, which was 50 more than any team in franchise history. That's good offense, but you flip that Isaac. And in 2020, so we have a lot of strikeouts. We had we um we were on pace in 2020 for 1425 strikeouts, which would have been Ouch. the third would have been the third most in franchise history and we batted only 242 last year and our offense was down quite a bit from 2019 and I mean if if we can bat 270 and hit 900 and what was it 939 home runs and score or I'm sorry 306 home runs and score 939 runs I, I'm okay with that, but when you start hitting 242, and, and by the way, 1,425 strikeouts is like par for the course in today's MLB, but what does that mean for the fan watching?
1: Depends what you're into. Do you like home runs? Do you like home runs or nothing? Because, it, it, I mean, then it's great. Otherwise, if you like the dink and dunk of baseball, then you're not going to get any of it. Not going to get much base like? running. What do you like? I love the dink and dunk, personally. You know, I love base running, stealing, stealing bags, being smart on the bases, sending runners, doing hit and runs like that's my kind of baseball. Obviously, home runs have their place, but I'd rather I'd rather see some base running involved and kind of sucking the pitch count out of out of pitchers. Yeah, that's what our twins did. I think,
0: you know, the, the 2000s Ron Gardenhire twins and you talk about like you don't see the base running theatrics when it's all it's like home runner strikeout. And the other thing is it's like the defense isn't involved and I'd like mm-hmm. to watch the defense have to make plays and put the pressure on them by making contact. And I guess it's because that's the version of baseball of twins baseball that I, that I grew up with. But I, I, it, it so I, it, it's a, it's a, it's a tension. It's successful. We have two AL central crowns in the last two years you know, we won 137 games. Now, granted, last year we were 36 and 24, the year before 101 and and 61. But that's a good, that's like a, like a 600 winning percentage or greater. Mm-hmm. And I would rather have that than a team that is, you know, at the bottom of the AL Central. So on the other hand, I don't know in this day and age, people with their attention spans are watching baseball less and less. And I guess the the home runs do make good for social media, for YouTube, Twitter cuts, but do they make good for, you know, TV watching? I'm not so sure for fans under 40, the in-game experience, still what it is, right? It's two beers and a hot dog and, and, you know, an ice cream. Beautiful
1: weather, hopefully. Uh,
0: You know, a sunburn (laughs) and ice cream and a baseball hat. Like, Like, we'll still do that once we can, right? easily all right so this version of the twins i think has been pretty successful i've i've seen i believe in this franchise i believe in the in the minnesota united i do believe in the vikings i also believe in the vikings ability to choke (laughs) when we are very to the precipice of success but the twins 87 to 92 we had 85 wins per year two world series championships until puckett and Herbeck retired then we went on a seven-year drought but that allowed us to get good draft picks that allowed us from the 2001 to 2010 season under Ron Gardenhire, Six division titles. Knocked out in the first round five times, other than 2002, of course. And then you get Always into this Oh, it felt
1: like the Yankees.
0: And Oakland. Oakland had our number <laughs> until we actually got them in 2002. <laughs> yeah. But, so it's kind of like this, like, the, the, it's this Jackal and Hyde, like, cycles of the Twins, right? 2011 to 18, under Gardenhire and then Folleter. 71 wins a year, Um, no division titles, one playoff. Like, Molitor snuck in once. And then now, we've been in two straight years under Baldelli. So it's kind of like, we're good, we suck, we're good, we suck, we're good again. So I feel like we're kind of, we're two years in to a good phase. So it feels to me like this should be a team that is working its way, not just to the top of the AL Central, but with key acquisitions, potentially, like, making a push or at least winning around in the playoffs. You think that's possible?
1: I think if our bats carry over from the regular season to playoffs, I mean, I know our bats weren't great in the small, short year last year, but I mean, that, that was our that was our issue last year when we got in the playoffs against Houston. Our pitching actually was all right. We just couldn't hit the ball. Nelson Cruz was the only guy who had more than one hit in the two-game series. So, I mean, if if we can hit the ball like we're supposed to, I mean, again, we're... We're what two, we're, we're just a few years removed from that that team that hit so many home runs, but I think it's possible i i I think our pitching's where it needs to be it's a matter of if our bat's gonna be consistent enough
0: so draftkings has us um isaac at eighty eight and a half wins baseball prospectus has us at ninety point six um the white sox are minus one twenty one to win the division the twins are one plus one twenty five I don't think the Tigers and Royals are going to sniff contention Um, with the Indians trading Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco, even though they've got good pitching and still have a pretty good righty lefty lineup. I, you know, I I have a hard time seeing them going above 500. So white sock, so twins over under 88.5, 90.6. Where do you sit?
1: I sit over. I think okay. this team I think this team it does just as well as last year and if last year they were about 600 that puts us at about 97 wins this year. So I mean we're 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 bringing back a bullpen at least the guys that are coming back from last year with a combined ERA of 2.97. I mean we had a good we had a good pitching staff last year. We were like second in the majors in ERA last year. So if that's what you want to you know base good pitching off of a ERA, like we were one of the top teams only the only better team was the la dodgers and well look what they did
0: they won the title
1: exactly i love and and another thing is last year we went so a lot of teams we actually played super well against and we have winning records the one team where we were 500 was chicago white Sox. we went five and five last year and so i'm thinking like you know if if we can keep at 500 with them again this like this year you know, I think we'll be, we'll be good. We'll be golden.
0: Well, we're going to rack up a lot of wins against the, 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 um, the Royals and the Tigers. And I also think like the Indians this year, cause Lindor and Carrasco were like major parts of their team. You're right. I think this is probably a two horse race, but I think the difference between the socks and the twins is that. Derek Falvey is pretty damn good.
1: bringing in some guys
0: i mean nelson cruz 2019 john josh donaldson last year 2020 four years 92
1: million hey hey i don't know i don't know if you should bring that one up that one hurts a little bit
0: (laughs) it it hurts today because he hurt a little bit rounding first um (laughs) hey but he's batting a thousand on the year and it's gonna stay that way so (laughs) (laughs) yeah might be the first guy that batted 400 by 600 percentage points in history he may (laughs) he may not qualify for the batting title isaac But last year, in addition to Donaldson, we trade for Kenta Maeda. Like, great trade, if you ask me. And then we signed Andrelton Simmons um, this year in 2021, four-time Gold Glove winner, career 270 hitter. So, the Twins got to be the favorite to win this division. It's a weak division. And I thought the White Sox were on the up-and-up, but, I mean, their fan base is is up in arms about what they did in the offseason. And then a key guy like Jimenez you know being injured um i I'd, I'd say over for the 88.5 and the over for the
1: 90.6 so yeah. easily yeah all
0: right let let let's move on isaac then to the rotation because as we've talked about like the the i i think the twins hitting is going to show up we'll, we'll get to that um i'm going to bury the lead and i want to start with the back half of the rotation
1: Yeah, so I I think the way it's set up now is Pineda's going to be our third guy. Then we got Jay Happ at the four and Shoemaker at the five. So, I mean, Pineda's going to be a guy that you just hope, you know, plays the whole year. He's really solid at eating up innings. He can pretty much give you a solid six innings every time he's out there. Um, And he's got some nasty stuff at times. So he's a guy that, like, you do want on the mound. I mean, he's got a career of a 4.02 ERA. And so it's solid, like it's obviously not going to be your your top-notch pitcher, but for a 3 spot, like that's not bad. Um and I think his his first year his first year for the Twins, he actually had like an exceptional year.
0: I think yeah, didn't he have a uh, suspension and before that suspension, he actually was like our best pitcher in the second half of the summer. I, that that's that's what comes to mind yeah um in 2019 he was 11 and 5
1: yep 11 and 5 with a 4 era yeah so i mean if this guy like if if he stays on the mound i think he's a perfect three like the the two that are going to be more questionable are going to be the four and five which is your your old man and jay hat who's been around forever 38 year old pitcher which i mean i guess in baseball the age doesn't mean as much look at nelson cruz but uh it's a matter of if if that guy can stay healthy. I mean, older age, he he's done pretty well so far. He's pitched over a hundred innings in eight, eight out of the last ten years, not including last year obviously because it was shortened. Um, but he's been solid. Career three point nine eight or I think he's a guy that is going to give you six innings. Like he's, I think he's a good, fall v, twins guy. I, I I really do. Um, and he's he's got proven success. So we'll see if he's still got enough gas in the tank at the ripe age of 38. And then Schumacher rounding out the Schumacher, sorry, rounding out the the five spot, which to me is the one that I'm the most curious about. He's the one I know the least about, so I'd be curious to see how he does. Uh he hasn't really been able to finish out seasons. Um I think the last time or uh he hasn't sorry, he hasn't pitched over 80 innings since 2016. So I think that would be kind of the red flag there is are we going to be able to see him pitch throughout the year? And I feel like that's kind of been an issue with with our starting rotation. I mean, every year we have one of our top guys going out, whether it's Rizzi and going back farther, whether it's uh, Urban Santana, whether it's injuries or suspensions. And then if you want to go back farther than that, back when we had Francisco Liriano in his heyday, he was doing killer things for us until he got hurt. So it's just... it. It seems like injuries always seem to plague our rotation, which probably is the case for every team. But I think if we can keep these guys in it, given that, you know, under Rocco Baldelli, they're going to pitch probably six innings max anyways. I think we're sitting all right.
0: What do you think the key is if a team, and most teams do face those injuries in their rotation, is to to, um, uh, patching things together?
1: Yeah, well, I think, like, we have a couple guys who who have ex- like MLB experience, and one of them sitting in the bullpen that I think could easily start for us, which is Randy Dobnak. Um, actually, kind of surprised he didn't make the rotation, but uh, we got him sitting there ready to go. And then we got the we got is um, it Devin Smeltzer? Is that the guy I'm thinking of? Yeah, I think
0: yeah, I think they actually though Smeltzer got um, he got pushed down to St. Paul as part as part of the the opening day r- roster I didn't yeah, see I think,
1: I think he had earlier really rough spring training so that's probably understandable but my
0: understanding is like especially now that our triple a affiliate is in st. Paul that among their eight bullpen spots they're going to look at one of them as kind of like a, a, a fill it in guy and mm. I think smelter will because it's going to be pretty easy like when you need a fresh arm or a guy goes down in the bullpen right yeah. to bring him like hey Drive over on 94, Target Fields, eight miles away. We'll see you there. (laughs) That's a lot different, though, than having our AAA affiliate in Rochester, New
1: York. Right. Um, Super convenient. Great move, too, by the way. It
0: it is. It's going to be exciting for us when we can go to games um, more regularly to be able to watch a lot of the twins' up and coming stars. Like, can you imagine having watched, like, Polanco and Kepler and Buxton and Sano in St. Paul? That would have been fun.
1: Yeah, I'd be just as frustrated watching Sanoa in St. Paul, but you know, that's fine.
0: Well, Sanoa against minor league pitching, <laughs> it might have been different. Um So I, I you know, I think Pineda has shown something. I mean, he's not that old. He came up with the Yankees and you know, it, if if he's an innings eater and he doesn't need to go twenty and six with a you know two point seventy RA. If he goes thirteen and ten with a with a three point nine seventy ERA, and eats up a couple hundred innings. I'm not sure anybody will do that under Baldelli, but um, let's just <laughs> say he does. But I, I do think there are some questions in our deeper rotation, and then what kind of pressure does that put on the bullpen?
1: Yeah, I mean, like like I was saying earlier, our our bullpen, like surprisingly by the numbers, our bullpen was good last year. So I think they're they're ready for it. Now it's a matter of if they can pitch well in in. In crucial moments, and I think, kind of a, a weakness of ours dating back to what I would say, Joe Nathan, has been we've lacked a legit closer, a guy we can bring in. He's going to shut the door. Now we we signed that that Colomy guy this year, and I thought he was maybe the answer. The the White Sox dropped him, and like he's coming off a year where he had a .81 ERA .81. He uh, had zero home runs allowed in. 21 appearances but like to me that's that's like that is the guy is 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 there another guy in chicago that they're like oh it's okay we can let him go or is that some kind of red flag that we should you know maybe be a little bit more worried about and the uh, only well, reason yeah. i say this is because i happened to watch the game today and yeah we, uh, happened to blow that save so
0: <laughs> yeah well our bullpen blew the game today against the the, the brewers and i think the way Baldelli and um pitching coach Wes Johnson manage is that like they're once there's a sign of trouble they're going to unless it's like your true ace they're going to pull the cord and so you need long relief and i look at a guy like Randy Dobnak maybe he can provide that like that we we took a couple of flyers on on Sean Anderson and Ian Hamilton who were signings in the off season or a trade in a signing um, on guys that have had um, inconsistent success, but at the top of the bullpen, if you think about the bullpen hierarchy, uh, can we if we get the, to your point earlier about can we get to the sixth inning? Then who is it? And Tyler Duffy, he's been the best Twins reliever the last two years. I mean, mm-hmm. he comes in and he puts out fires. You go to him in a lot of big spots, and if you think about true value in a bullpen pitcher, is it more valuable for a guy like you know Sergio Romo or Taylor Rogers to protect a lead? Or for a guy like Tyler Duffy to come in like at the bottom of the 7th and protect a, or to get us out of a tight spot. And there's a stat called Game Leverage Index. And Tyler Duffy has been right up there the last two years with the Twins' bullpen. So I, I think he's just a guy that he can be kind of the backbone. He's not your closer, lights out. And okay. he's not long relief Dob, the way Dobnik might be. And we're probably going to need, because the way I see teams in treating pitchers this year If you think about 2020 being a COVID season with 60 games, I don't think starting pitchers are going to be as conditioned as they are used to. And so I would look for the twins to treat their starters, you know, you know, pretty gingerly in the first half of the season. So you're going to see a lot of four and five and six out, six inning outings. And so you're going to need a a guy that bridges the gap. But I think if you can get to Duffy then you're looking at guys in um, Hansel Robles, Alex Colome, and Taylor Rogers, who in 2019, Isaac were all closers for their teams. Um, Robles saved 23 games for the Angels in 2019. Colome was the White Sox closer in 19. Isaac, get this—I didn't realize this until today. I was doing research. He was with the Rays during Baldelli's time there. He was a setup man, and then he became their mm. closer. And he led the majors in saves in 2017 what I've heard from the White Sox is that his strikeout ratio per inning is down quite a bit below one. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why like they weren't as high on him and maybe they let him go, but I, it, it might be a bullpen by, or a closer by committee again, that hasn't been unsuccessful in, in past years with the twins. We were the sixth rated bullpen bullpen in 2020. Um, and I think this could be. And Jorge um, Alcala was a great rookie last year. He had a pretty strong out. starting. There were games that I would tune into and I'm like, who's this guy? And he's back. He's back into the mix this year again.
1: I thought it was so wrong that they didn't add him to the playoff roster last year. Now, given our pitching was was fine in the playoffs, but when I didn't when I saw he didn't make the roster, I was like, what? This guy's lights out.
0: So with that, let, let's move to the front of the. Um, the front of the rotation, Maeda and and Barrios. I know you've got some thoughts on Barrios.
1: Yeah. Uh, Gosh. Um, You just never know what you're going to get with him. I mean, he's got the stuff to be a top ace in, honestly, the league, and you'll see it sometimes. But then he'll come out the next game, and you'll wonder why the heck is he even in the rotation. Like, he'll just be throwing meatballs out there, so... I honestly love the guy. He's only 26. So it's not like he's old. It's not like he still has a little bit of room to to get, you know, refine his pitches. But I think what we need to see from him like moving forward is some consistency because he's definitely got ace material. He just doesn't show it all the time. So he's a guy that I think is going to be really important, you know, in his max 6 innings that Rocco lets him pitch, though. So.
0: Well, he had 202 strikeouts and 195 and 18 and 19. A guy that strikes out 200 guys in a season has something going for him. Mm. And what did you say he was? 26, right? Yep. 26. You know, with pitchers, with some pitchers, it takes three, four, five years in the majors, you know, working your way through lineups, you know, working with pitching coaches, refining five your pitchers. Yeah. But, you know, I think about Garrett Cole, and maybe even Max Scherzer, guys that had been number two or three starters, up until they were twenty six, twenty seven, and then they made a leap. And and Max Scherzer now is a Cy Young Award winner, and you know Garrett Cole is a number one starter. Max Scherzer, I think, has been an eight time uh, consecutive All Star, and that happened when they were in their late twenties. And Isaac, like, you're twenty seven. You're not a mm. starter. You know, you're not a starting pitcher in baseball. <laughs> but sometimes it takes a little while to get going in your in your early to mid 20s. Like let's be real.
1: Yeah, I mean I'd say <laughs> I'd say at my prime was was much earlier. So I would have been I would I would have been going downhill by now, but <laughs> did did, did,
0: you, did you peak at 18? Or no, you peaked at 16 with your driver's license, right?
1: Uh I was going to say I peaked in like 5th grade, but yeah, <laughs> we'll go with <at> 16. <laughs> Well, I think you know Barrios forty eight and thirty eight
0: as a, um, as a starter. That's not bad. Four point one nine career ERA. He is mad. He's maddening as a fan. It's yeah. he'll have like five straight starts in July where you're like, I mean, this guy could be in the Hall of Fame. And then he'll have four straight outings giving up like six runs or more in less than four innings. Yep. Yeah. And the consistency is going to be what 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 I think he makes or breaks him. In terms of him being an ace or him being a career two or three starter. But Maeda, Now, we got Kenta Maeda in last year, 2020, as part of the Mookie Betts deal. We sent um our reliever um Gratterall to the Dodgers, who by the way had a solid two thousand and twenty. Maeda mm. finished second in Cy Young voting last year. Six yeah. and one, two point seven ERA. What do you like about him?
1: I mean he's he is consistent. <laughs> he's basically the opposite of Barrios Ber- is, but I, I mean, he he eats up innings, and he's also got some nasty stuff as well that can kind of freeze hitters. So, I mean, I just like it. It seems like he he goes in and and he does his work. Like he doesn't get rattled too often. I just think he's 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 definitely a a number one over Barrios because of his consistency. And I think we saw a lot of it last year. We'll we'll see if in a larger sample size, you know, he can continue. Do you, do you, do you think he, he'll continue last year? Or is he going to kind of regress and be more of well, not Isaac, as I'm, much an ace?
0: I'm prone to hyperbole. Like, we know that. I see shades of Greg Maddox. What I'm saying is I see great control. Last year he had an 8-to-1 strikeout-to-walk ratio. He was number one in the league. And walks and hits per nine innings by a wide margin. Batters batted 168 against him last year. Location, location, location. I ain't talking about real estate. I'm talking about Maeda painting the corners. And today, he he didn't have his his best stuff. But, you know, he'll often, he's got a fastball, a slider, a changeup, a sinker. He might go 10 to 15 pitches. You know, in spring training, I want to say he pitched 18 innings and gave up one run and had 18 strikeouts with one walk. And granted, it's spring training, but at, he, currently DraftKings has him at 17 to one for Cy Young Award. He's a guy that's not like I would. Guys that can regularly hit their spots, and that have a lot of pitches, and that are just intellectual pitchers, I would rely on them more than I would a guy that needs to rely on a on a, on a heater night to night to get guys out, mm-hmm. and. Today may not have been a great indication of that, but what I saw last year and what I've seen in spring training, I do think he's a bona fide number one. Okay, Isaac, we're back, and we've talked about the Twins bullpen and pitching, and we're going to wrap up today with um, sharing our thoughts on on a few guys in their lineup that we think are going to be the most impactful in terms of winning baseball. So, you know, who's at the top of that list for you, Isaac?
1: Yeah, for me, it's, uh, it's honestly Jorge Polanco. Um, I mean, this is a guy who led the team and played appearances the last two years. And he's a guy that honestly had a down year last year. He, uh, he only hit two fifty eight when he's normally around like a two hundred eighty hitter. I mean, he's, this guy's like a really good contact hitter, and he's even shown some power. So I think if this if if this guy who's at at the plate the most can can start hitting up you know in the upper upper two hundreds again, I, I think it's going to be important for us scoring runs and for you know him hitting in runners. So, and then another guy, which it kind of hurts to talk about him now because of, of what I saw today of him rounding first base, but uh, Josh Donaldson, the bringer of rain. Huge signing for us last year, which at this point has really not paid off. But this is a guy who, if he's healthy, is an extremely impactful hitter. I mean, he generally hits around 270 for his career, and in years that he's actually played, you know, a full season and/or he's had like over 400 at bats, he averages like 33 home runs a year. That unfortunately has only happened once since 2018. So recently, he's just been very, very injury prone. And then I guess he got last year, which was shortened. So and he also got hurt last year. But if that guy can get back on the field, I hope this 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 hamstring isn't going to keep him out forever. So uh, if he can get back in the lineup, he's going to be someone that we need to drive in runs. And then I think another one's by uh, Byron Buxton. I mean, this guy to me is way more impactful in the field, but even on the bases, like he's our fastest guy we got. So even if he's not, you know, hitting dingers along with the rest of our lineup, if we can get this guy on the base path, stealing bags, causing havoc for pitchers, he's gonna be influential in 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 getting us runs. And it seems like at times in the past two years, you think he has it figured out. He'll go on these hot streaks and it's like, This is the Byron Buxton we signed up for, like this is the guy you know, we've always thought we've had And then he'll like possibly go ice cold again, or he'll try to make some spectacular catch in center field and slam into the wall and be out for weeks with an injury. So, I mean, these guys, we need to be big. I kinda wanna talk about Sano, but I kinda don't at the same time. What are your thoughts on Sanoh? Because I don't wanna like tear him down before maybe you have good stuff to say about him.
0: My thoughts on Sano are he'll hit thirty home runs he'll strike out 210 times and bat 205. And most of his strikeouts will be three pitch. He swings at two of them and misses awfully. And we're just always left wanting like, but if Sano were to hit the free agent market, there would be buyers because of the way the modern baseball is played, where there's such a premium put on not contact, but getting driving guys in through the home run ball. And he hit 34 home runs two years ago. And he's projected to hit 38 home runs this year, whatever the hell that means. Um, <laughs> AL MVP odds. We have four twins in the top 50. And in three of the guys that you mentioned, Donaldson is 40 to one. Polanco is 60 to one. Sano is 75 to one. Luisa Rice, who I don't know, understand. I mean, other than batting 321 last year, is also 75 to one, but...
1: I love that guy, but that's interesting.
0: (laughs) Sano and Buxton, you know, I think about Polanco and Kepler. Like I think about that four man group from the mid mid 20 teens that came up and it was always going to be Sano and Buxton and it's not Sano and Buxton. Like they're okay. They made it to the majors. Buxton gets hurt. He, you know, he likes to jump into walls and, and, and have wrist injuries, but The guy's a five-tool talent, and yet he hasn't put it together. But he hasn't been. And when Buxton's on, he's on. He's a little bit like um, Barrios on the mound. He'll have stretches where you see him play. But
1: he just... just. I just think Buxton, like, if he can hit 250, which doesn't sound flashy or anything, and stay healthy, he's worth runs just being in the outfield.
0: Well, he won a gold glove in 2017, the only year that he played more than 100, and 100 games, played 140 games. In his six-year career, Isaac, he's only played 100 games or more once, and that was in 17. But he has five and a half times more strikeouts than walks in his career, 444 to 91, and he's batting two hundred thirty eight in his career, which makes his, his career on base percentage two eighty seven which by twin standards is pretty paltry. And he does bring winning defense, and he saves a lot of runs. But I think it's a little bit like Wiggins. How many years in a row are you going to have to see flashes but never see the real thing before you stop to believe?
1: Uh, I, I, wouldn't be, I wouldn't agree with that comparison, just because I think like he's proven you know, potentially the, the best center fielder defensively. Like, that is a legitimate argument, whereas Wiggins, you couldn't say that really on either side of the ball. So the
0: Denny Green Vikings, the Kevin Garnett Timberwolves, the Ron Garden hire, potentially the Rocco Baldelli Twins, can we be satisfied with a playoff appearance and a first-round exit as opposed to being at the bottom of the barrel?
1: No. I think it needs to extend beyond the first round. because. I mean, we've been there it'd be different if it'd be different if we were the Timberwolves and we're, we're playing, we're trying to play for the, the play-in game right now. That would be exciting. Cause guess what? We've been at the bottom for years and years and years and years. You know, if you take out the Butler year, but the twins, I mean, like we've been fairly competitive for several years and we've made it to the playoffs, the first round several years and lost. So it's like no, the first round is no longer satisfying. Like we need to extend beyond that. We need to show some more growth and success, especially I, when we're like, I mean, when we're touted as one of like the best teams in the MLB. Yet yeah, we're out in the first round. <laughs>
0: there, there does seem to be a stigma. Every time we make the playoffs, it seems like the the group of guys that are there say we had nothing to do with the last iteration, and so we don't think about that. And yet we see the same result. I don't know. I, I guess for me as a man with young kids turning on the TV every night. And as I mentioned in the last podcast, watching teams that I believe might have a chance of winning. It's so, is more important to me than advancing far in the playoffs. Even if I want a championship, I want a championship as much as the next guy, but I'd like to watch winning baseball as I'd like to watch winning basketball. as I'd like to watch winning football and hockey. So I think we can disagree on that. Like you're in in a mid-market franchise. I believe that winning some is better than what we see most years in Europe. Let's go for it all kind of guy. And I don't fault you for that. I just don't agree with it, with what is possible with where we are in this market. All right. Well, with that, Isaac, um, I think we've talked for way too long as we normally do. So (laughs) it's time to bid goodnight to our audience and sign us off.
1: I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Y'all stay safe out there and we look to be back next week.